You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We've been, uh, over the past several weeks, looking at uh, what it means to imitate God. Um, as chapter 5 begins with that, uh, that idea or that command to us. Um, that we're to imitate God, and then he begins to, Paul begins to specifically break down uh, ways that we're to do that, ways that we are to imitate God in the ways that we uh, live, um, the ways that we interact with each other, uh, and then even in the ways that we don't interact uh, with each other within the world. And um, we saw uh, specifically in verse 1, chapter 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And so we spent some time talking about that concept of Uh, being children of God and that we're to reflect uh, our Heavenly Father. And then Paul begins to tell us specifically how to do that uh, in several different ways. One, to reflect Him in the ways that we love. Um, Verse 2, to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so we spent some time a couple weeks ago talking about what it means to walk in love and then particularly remaining motivated in how we show love to others by reflecting on how we've been loved by our Heavenly Father. And and that kind of ties back into what we were seeing in the Sermon on the Mount with the golden rule that we don't treat others or love others uh, as long as they're loving us back. We don't respond to others based on how they've responded to us, that we have a standard of how we're to interact, how we're to love others regardless of how we're treated. And it flows from us reflecting and meditating on the fact that we've been loved this way by God. Uh, We talked about imitating God in purity. Uh, that we're to walk in purity and to avoid immorality, even being mentioned with our name. Um, and so we saw that in verses uh, 3 through, um, I guess, 3 through 6. Uh, and then two weeks ago, we started looking at verse 7, where it says, Therefore do not become partners with them. Those individuals who are involved in that uh, foolish talk and crude joking and sexual immorality, to, to not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness... But now you are light in the world. And so we started looking at uh, the idea of imitating God in light. Uh, So love, purity, light. We said two weeks ago that intimacy of our relationships uh, should be determined by my desire to walk in light and separate from darkness. So our closest relationships in life should be tied to that idea of us being in the light and not in darkness. And so we don't become partners with the darkness. And uh, we talked about how we can be reminded of the fact that we once were darkness. Uh, And that we were made light, not by anything of our own, uh, but by the work of Christ. Um, And then as we've been brought into the light, we're to now live in that light. And so that's where we pick up in uh, the second part of verse 8 today. So turn your attention there. It says, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Our summary sentence for today, When Christians who were once darkness, live out their new identity as light, they, know, they not only please the one who made them light, 
They also expose and possibly even dispel the opposing darkness around them. When Christians who were once darkness live out their new identity as light, they not only please the one who made them light, they also expose and possibly even dispel the opposing darkness around them. For our kids, Christians are called to be light by living obediently to God. All right, so the idea there is that we were once darkness and now we have a new identity that's been given to us. It's an identity of light. And by living as light, we become pleasing to the Lord. We please him by living as light, by being children of light and living out that new identity. But then there's also this piece at the end of this section today that talks about how we are to expose the works of darkness, not to partner with the works of darkness, but to expose the works of darkness. And then this, there's this idea that by doing so, the darkness becomes light itself. And so we're going to talk about what that means today too. Uh, but the idea there would be that not only are we to live out the identity to please the Lord, uh, but we're doing so with the idea that we may even dispel the opposing darkness around us. Okay, so a lot at stake in the choices and decisions that we're making to live out and to imitate our Father in light. All right, so let's look at, at this section together today, and I want to give you three points uh, to kind of take with you, application points as always, and then we'll get into some application questions at the end, things for you to reflect upon as to how you're applying some of this to your own life. All right, number one, we display light, which is what we're told to do, right? We're told to walk as children of light in verse eight. We display light by making intentional plans, We display light by making intentional plans. And so we're going to go a little bit out of order as far as walking through this passage uh, so that it makes sense logically and how this would flow for us. Um, But it says, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and true, uh, good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So we're going to first hone in on that idea of trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord to the Lord. And, and once we know what's pleasing to the Lord, then we begin to walk out this identity of walking as children of light and bearing this fruit of light that's mentioned here, the ideas of goodness and rightness and truth. And so we start by displaying light, by making intentional plans to do so. Number one, our identity as children of light should shape our motivation. Our identity as children of light should shape our motivation. By that I mean our motivation for right living is based on an identity given to us, not a pursuit for an identity. Let me say that again. Our motivation for right living is based on identity that's already been given to us, not a pursuit for an identity. We are light. We're not trying to become light. That's, that's really important. Because that's the difference between us and every other religion. Every other religion uh, would teach that we are trying to become light. Okay, Now we've talked about this concept of enlightenment that Paul talks about here in Ephesians. That he prays for us to be enlightened. Okay, But that, that initial enlightenment starts with our salvation. We are brought into the light. We are transferred from darkness to light. We said uh, two weeks ago uh, that there was a point in time, even if you don't know it, there was a point in time where you crossed from darkness to light. You don't progress into relationship with Christ. You were brought into relationship with Christ. 
Okay? And again, you may not know the exact point in time when that happened. You grew up in a Christian home. You grew up in church. You grew up just uh, always being exposed to the things of God. And, and there came a point in time where you just kind of looked back and said, you know what? At some point I became a Christian because my desires have changed. Right? But there was a point in time where you crossed from darkness to light and you were given this new identity where you used to be a child of darkness. As we said a couple of weeks ago, you were darkness, not just in darkness. You were the darkness. And now you are the light, not because of anything that you did, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. He is the one who makes us light. But now we're children of light. We've been given this identity. And it's important for us to keep that in mind, that the motivation for right living is not a pursuit for an identity. We're not trying to become a good Christian. We're not trying to become a Christian. We're not trying to become light. Those things have been given to us. We've been made children of light, and we are now called to live in light of that identity. We are light. We're not trying to become light. We are to walk in the light because we are light, not to become light. Our goal and focus then becomes pleasing him, not just as an outward conformity to a set of rules, but instead we have realized that we have embraced this new identity. Therefore, we can just operate in freedom in seeking to please him. And again, there's a big difference there, right? To have a secure relationship with somebody to know that I'm not trying to impress or to earn favor or to earn love. Like I've already had that. I already received that to live in that freedom of then being able to just respond in an attitude of love and service. It's a radical change. Like sometimes for me, I think of it, the difference between when you're dating somebody and now the experience of being married to somebody, right? When you're dating somebody, there's that phase of like, this could go either way, right? Like this person isn't obligated to stay with me. There is no covenant agreement that we've entered into. We've just decided to meet for dinner tonight. And maybe if that goes well and you're impressed enough with me and I'm impressed enough with you, we'll do an activity after that. And if that goes well, then maybe we'll do it again next weekend, right? And so you live with this anticipation of like, how did it go tonight? Did it go good for them? It went, with, it went good for me, but if it didn't go good for both of us, then we're probably not having dinner next weekend, right? But then like, once you're entered into marriage, like I don't think about whether Lauren and I are having dinner next weekend, right? Like, like I'm secure in the fact that, that she loves me and I love her. And even if, even if there's frustration or bad days within our marriage, I mean, there's still an understanding that next weekend, like we're having dinner, whether it's out or in, we're having dinner together, Right? But that doesn't remove the obligation for me to pursue her and to love her and to serve her. It just feels different once we've entered into a covenant relationship. Like I've agreed and she's agreed publicly that we love each other and that we're committed to each other. And we did that before people. And now we're free to love and serve each other without this feeling of trying to, to earn the other's love back, right? That's what we have with God. That's what we have with God as a child of light with him, right? We're not like every other religion trying to earn his favor or earn relationship with him. That's been given to us, right? And, and, and the glory of that is that it was given to us without us impressing him through a dating relationship either, right? Like, like we had the worst dating relationship with him. We were evil. We were his enemies. We were rebels. And he still says, I choose you. And he's radically changing us right? But we've been given this identity. So now we operate with this free mindset to love him and to serve him, not to earn his favor, but in a response to seek to please him for all that he's done for us. 
Our identity as children of light should shape our motivation. Number two, our identity as children of light should drive us to discernment. It should drive us to discernment. Okay, so Paul says that our motivation for living as uh, children of light and walking as children of light should be to please the Lord. But then he ties in this idea that we should try to discern what it means to please the Lord, right? So we should be asking ourselves this question, what is pleasing to the Lord? Now, there's some, some easy, simple responses to that, right? If we, could, we could immediately start to pull verses out of our mind that, that would be very pleasing to the Lord for us to live this way, right? To forgive others, to, to love our enemies, to, uh, to treat others the way that we desire to be treated, right? Um, but you know as well as I do that there are plenty of times throughout the week where we're engaging in circumstances and situations where it's not clear, cut, and dry what is pleasing to the Lord. And at that point, we are left to operate and respond based on whatever reserved knowledge that we have equipped ourselves with about God and his word and his character, right? There's plenty of times where it's not a clear cut black and white. This is what I'm supposed to do. And this is what is pleasing to the Lord. But when given some thought and some time and attention, what seemed maybe far more gray becomes far more black or white as we filter it through what we know about God's word. Does that make sense? So like, as we increase in our knowledge of what is pleasing to the Lord overall, it gives us more clarity and direction when we're in situations where it's not totally clear what we should be doing. And I think this is what Paul means when he talks about praying that our knowledge of the Lord would increase, right? He's not praying that if we ever find ourselves in a Bible drill, right, or a Bible quiz bowl, that we will do really good right? He's not praying that we'll be able to remember whose Abraham's spouse was and that it's uh, Noah and not Moses who gets on the ark, right? Like he's not praying that we'll be like quiz experts when it comes to the Bible. He's not praying that when somebody tries to give you that old joke of, hey, how many animals did Moses take on the ark? And you're like, uh, oh, it's, it's Noah, not Moses. Like that's the, that's the joke, right? Like he's not praying that like we'll be so good at knowing the Bible that we, can, that we can pass a quiz or a test. I think he's praying that our knowledge of the Lord would increase in such a way that as we go about our daily business, as we are separated from the gathering of the church throughout the week and we're kind of left to, to make choices and decisions based on our knowledge of God's word, that the knowledge of God's word would increase, the knowledge of who he is and what he desires for us would increase, the, the knowledge and awareness of his love for us and that it's not performance-based would increase so that we're freed up to make the right choices and decisions throughout the week that are pleasing to him. He says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This idea of what is pleasing to the Lord then becomes our filter for making all of our choices and decisions in life. And I think what Paul would say here is that we should desire to please God in such a way that we are anxious to find out what he desires, that we're motivated to bring him pleasure. I put in my notes that to determine what pleases the Lord, it is a daily practice of discovering from his word how we can please our new Lord rather than indulging ourselves or desperately trying to please others in our life. It's the daily practice of discovering from his word how we can please our new Lord rather than indulging ourselves or desperately trying to please others in our life. At the end of the day, our life is meant to please somebody, right? 
At the end of the day, like the choices and decisions that we're making, we are making those choices and decisions with an end goal of pleasing someone, whether that's ourself, whether that's somebody else in our life, or whether it's our Lord, right? All of our choices and decisions are, are meant to please someone. And there's, there's all kinds of scriptures that talk about us not cho- uh, choosing and making decisions to please ourselves, right? And even if we are trying to please someone else in our life, if they become the supreme object uh, of who we are trying to please, that's not good for them either. Uh, somebody posted this article that I was reading this morning. Um, it's not even a Christian article. It's just a, a secular guy talking about the dangers of a family living with the child being the most important member of the family. And, and he was just talking about the, 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 the disconnect from years past where the parents were the most important people in the family. And they made the choices and decisions for what was good for the family. And somewhere along the way, that is flipped. And parents have started to empower their children as though they are the most important individuals in the family and they get to drive the family and what the family does and, and, and what it does not do. I, I, I've told you this before. Uh, and whenever I, just, just to be clear, whenever I talk parenting um, disconnects, I, I never have anybody in mind from our church family, okay? So when I say this, don't think like, hey, is he talking about me? No, um, but, but I've had conversations countless conversations with families at Trinity who come looking at our school. Had one just recently. Um, We go through the whole interview process about whether they're going to come to Trinity or not, right? I mean, and we're talking like young elementary kids, right? Kids that are in like third and fourth grade. Get done and it's like, hey, you know, we'd love to welcome you to Trinity. Hey, thank you so much. We're going to talk to our child and let them make the decision on this. And it's like, what? what? Like your kid's in third grade, like, they're going to make the decision about the influences that are going to be over them, the friends that they're going to have for the next five, seven years or whatever. Like, that's going to be on them. It's just crazy to me to think that way, right? That, that somebody would allow their child to be such a dominant figure where it's, it's really like, like I've had parents even tell me, we really hope they pick Trinity. Like, we're really rooting for Trinity here. And it's like, okay, like there's one thing to say, like, hey, we like to include our kids in the decision-making process. We want their feedback. We're going to let them kind of offer some, some insight as to what we do as a family. But to say like, like everything's on them. They get to make the choice, right? Like, but I think it comes from a desire to, to be pleasing to the child, to please the child and to, to have a relationship that, that uh, has the child wanting to please the, the parent. But I think it backfires a lot of times, right? What, I, what my point there is, is that if we put anybody other than ourselves, because it feels right to say, I don't want to please myself, I want to please others, but to put anybody else as the supreme authority of who we try to please, it's not even good for them, right? Paul says, we have a responsibility to make choices and decisions that please the Lord, that please the Lord. And we need to seek to determine what that means, to, to go to his word, again, not to win a Bible quiz, but to know our heavenly father so that when we're in situations where choices are being, uh, being thrown our way, we know which choices to make that would please him. We display light by making intentional plans. Number two, we display light by committing to what's right. We display light by committing to what's right. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Number one, our goal should be to choose what is good, right, 
and true. Uh, several commentators refer to the, these uh, three words here as the ethics of light. The ethics of light. Good, right, and true. As I was kind of pondering and meditating these three virtues, these three words, I couldn't help but think that these are really the fundamental character traits of how God has chosen to reveal himself to his creation, right? Like when we think about how God reveals himself in scripture, he reveals himself as a good God, as a right God or a righteous God, a true God where there is no deceit, there is no hypocrisy, there is no lying, there is no deception. So going back to what we're told here at the beginning of chapter five, we're told to imitate our father, right? What better way to imitate him than to imitate the character traits that he has chosen to reveal about himself, his goodness, his rightness, his truth, these ethics of light. And it says that that they are the fruits of walking in the light. And then it compares that to the unfruitful works of darkness, right? Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of of darkness. Light bears fruit. Darkness prevents it or kills it. Paul refers to it as unfruitfulness. Um, typically, when I cut the grass uh, during the week, there's something that's been left out by one of the kids inadvertently, not on purpose, that has covered up parts of the grass, right? Like we have this water table that they'll play with and then they'll turn it over to like let it dry and and if, if it's not attended to quickly, it'll, it'll start to kill the grass underneath it, right? Because the grass isn't getting any light. That's kind of the idea of what Paul's saying here is that light brings fruit, light brings life, darkness kills it. Darkness is viewed as unfruitful. Good, right, and true. These are reminders of who we saw God to be even in our minor prophet study. Remember, as we were working through the minor prophets, we kept coming back to these concepts and these ideas. Um. God gave these expectations to his people. This is how you're to treat each other. And when there was injustice and there was uh, deceit, then his judgment came in and there were other nations that would rise up against Israel or there were other nations that would come against other nations because they weren't imaging him well, right? We had spent a lot of time talking about what it means to be an image bearer of God, to image him well. These are the things that we are to image, his goodness, his justice or his rightness and his truth. He is light and in him there is no darkness, 1 John 1, 5 tells us. Now, in the context of what Paul's been talking about in Ephesians, we can see these are, these are the opposite of things that he's already mentioned to us in uh, this book. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Look what it says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. This is in contrast to the Uh, the bad works that we were guilty of before Christ, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world, but we're told in verse 10, we were made for good. We were made to do good. This was determined before our salvation, before we were even created. We are called to good. It's the opposite of malice, which we saw at the end of chapter four in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have nothing to share with anyone, uh, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up 
Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and clamor be put away from you along with all malice. Right? The goodness and the, uh, the rightness that we're called to is in contrast to the things that we are tempted to be in our old self. We're called to do right. Chapter 4, verse 24. To put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're to be right. We're to be righteous. Um, to exhibit truth. Chapter 4, verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Verse 25 of that same chapter. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. These are things that he's already been building upon in this chapter. Goodness, rightness, and truth. These are things that should be exhibited by us if we're truly trying to live in the light and walk in the light. You know, when people talk about whether somebody's a believer or a Christian or not, and it's just, it's just natural inclination to start thinking about their church attendance, uh, maybe their status of baptism, uh, the money that they give, right? These are, these are unfortunately indicators that we use even when we try not to. They are indicators to us as to whether or not we would classify somebody maybe as a Christian or not, right? And those things certainly are, are important and have a place within the life of a Christian, but these are far better indicators to us as to whether someone is a believer or not, whether they've been really, really changed by the light or not. Do they exhibit goodness and rightness and truth? And again, these become filters for how we make choices and decisions in life. Is it good? Does it carry the idea of generosity if I do this? Is it right? Does it carry the idea of integrity if I engage in this? Is it true? Is there any possibility of deception or falsehood that would be tied to me if I engage in this? These are great questions to ask as we face situations where we're not really sure what we should or shouldn't do. Is it good? Is it right? Is it true? Our goal should be to choose these things. Number two, our normal pattern of life should reflect these virtues. Our normal pattern of life should reflect these virtues, meaning we're not going to always be good. We're not going to always choose right. We're not going to always be truthful. But these should be the normal patterns of life for us if we're truly children of the light. These are things that should be descriptors of how we live our life. Now, how do we, how do we increase that? How do we see that become more than norm? How does that become more visible? Right? How do we make that light more visible to others? Well, the more time we spend in the light, the more consistent these traits become in our life. The more time we spend in the light, the more consistent these traits become in our life. I put in my notes, if you want to shine in the night, you must remain in the light. It's like these, uh, these lights that people use in their, um, in their uh, yards at night. Right, they spend all day soaking up the sun, these solar-powered lights, and then when the, when the sun sets, what do they do? They light up. They've been charged by the light, and now they glow and illuminate the night. Not because of anything themselves, really, right? They've just simply absorbed the light that was given to them, and that's, that's kind of the principle for how we grow in our goodness and our rightness and our truth. The more time we spend in the light, right? So the more time we, we invest being in God's word, being around other people who are in God's word, right? So it's not just increasing my quiet time, which, which is a good thing, right? To spend more time in God's word. 
But the less we are in the darkness, right? Less partnership with the darkness, more partnership with the light, more intimate relationships with people who are following Christ and wanting to be in the light, those things just naturally start to rub off on us. We become like that. We absorb that light and then we therefore show more light ourselves. We pursue him as light through his word, which is light. Psalm 119, several passages talking about how God's word is, God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We display light by committing to do what's right. And we become more right in our actions the more time we spend in the light. Number three, the last one. We display light by transforming the dark. We display light by making intentional plans, right? We're going we're gonna to walk in the light. We're going to be pleasing to the Lord. So we make this decision to, to live this way. This is going to be the filter for how I make choices and decisions, right? I, I want to please him and I'm going to seek to figure out what pleases him, right? Like I'm going to pursue discernment so that when I'm faced with choices and decisions, I know which choice and decision to make, right? I'm going I'm to make intentional plans to walk in the light. And then as I seek to walk in the light, I'm going to commit to do what's right, what's good and what's true. But there's one more step that Paul gives to us about what it means to display light, to be a child of light, to walk in the light. So going back to chapter five, walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and tried to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Number one, we transform the dark by first taking no part in it. We transform the dark by first taking no part in it. Now it goes back to what we said a couple weeks ago. and, and, And that goes back to what we said previously in our study on the Sermon on the Mount. We are not called to be taken out of this world, right? It would be far easier if that was the calling on us, but, but Christ has chosen to leave us in the world as an extension of who he is to the world, right? And so we, we are not called to be taken out of the world. So we don't isolate ourselves and cut ourselves off completely from the world and become uh, this weird group of people that just lives with themselves and doesn't talk to anybody else, right? But we also don't embrace this missionary mindset that would, Uh, immerse us in the world so much that we become just like it, right? Instead, that word that we've chosen to use to help us understand the balance is an insulated life in the world. It's the perspective that we are in the world, but we are protected in the world. We insulate ourselves. We put parameters and measures in place so that our our deepest and most intimate relationships are Christ-based and not worldly-based. So, While I may work with unbelievers and I may spend some time with unbelievers, they are not who I go to for my primary source of community. They're not who I go to for guidance and direction when I'm trying to decide, should I take this job or turn down this promotion? Should I buy this house or or lease this car? Like, like I I I don't spend my time with unbelievers in an intimate way. I don't partner with their darkness. Instead, my deepest intimate relationships are with those who are in the light but I'm still, I'm still around the darkness and I need to be around the darkness, right? Like it's not, I'm not called to separate so completely from it. Jesus prayed for us to have this balance and he recognized it was gonna be a struggle. Going back to our studies in John, John chapter eight, John chapter eight, verse 12. 
Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. All right, so Jesus says, I'm the light. You follow me. You will be light. We're not going to walk in darkness. Fast forward to John 17 as his life is coming to an end here on this earth before his resurrection. Verse 12, John chapter 17, verse 12. While I was with them, talking about his disciples, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. All right, so he's, he's talking to his father, and he says, look, these people have been with me, and we haven't lost any of them. The only one that looks to be lost was a fulfillment of scripture, so technically that's not a loss, right? Like we were counting on that happening. So what we've guarded and protected these people. They've been in the world, but the world has not overtaken them. But now, verse 13, I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, right? So he's saying, man, take my disciples, immerse them in your word, Help them to see what is pleasing to you so as they live in this dark world, they are not impacted by it. They are the ones doing the impacting. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The idea being that we would find a way to, to, to immerse ourselves in the word so that as we participate in the things of the world around us, we are the ones doing the impacting with our light. This idea of partnership. So going back to Ephesians 5, he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Verse 7, he said, don't become partners with them. The words being used there are real similar to the words used in um, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. This is the passage where he's talking about Gentiles becoming fellow heirs, verse 6, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So if you think back, we have been told that we are now partakers of the things of God, partners with the things of God. To be that type of partaker, that type of partner, we can't be a partaker or a partner of the things of darkness anymore. We've been saved from that. Children of light don't partake or partner with that any longer. Romans 16, 19 says that we should be ignorant to the things of evil, wise to the things that are good. Why this intense separation? It's to protect us from being led into temptation. There's a couple of passages, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, and 2 Thessalonians 3, 14. These are passages that tell us to actually separate and distance ourselves from believers who are choosing to live in sin, to, to not even partner and partake with them uh, because Jesus doesn't want us to be tempted to, to let our guard down and to live in the same way. We transform the dark by first taking no part in it. We make a commitment to good and right and truth, which means we don't partake in the darkness. And it would be easy to just say, okay, and that's all we need to do is to just not partake in it. That's, that's the negative piece. The positive piece is that we are to expose it. Number two, we transform the dark by exposing it rather than judging it. We expose it rather than judge it. And there's an important difference between those two. 
because it's, it's, I think it's a lot easier to get on board with, okay, I'm not going to partake in it, and I'm okay with judging people who do. And that's not what we're called to either. We're called to not partake in it, but to expose it, but not to expose it with the purpose of judging it, to expose it with the purpose of changing it. We're to live in a way that our actions draw attention to the one we are seeking to please, Matthew 5, 16. Our good works are to shine in such a way where others see our good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. We're to live in a way that we offer both correction and redirection. Confrontation coupled with hope. Let me say those two things again. We're to live in such a way. How do, how do we live out this light? How do we display light to the darkness and transform it? Well, it starts with us living in such a way that when people see our good works and actions, they don't think of us as self-righteous and judgmental because we're pointing them to the person who has changed us, not to our self-righteousness, right? And so we're pointing people to Jesus so they see our good works, they see who we're pointing them to, right? And for some, it leads them to give in glory to our Father in heaven because of that. Then we're to live in a way that we offer both correction and redirection when we're trying to address sin in the lives of others. Confrontation coupled with hope. I think Jesus is obviously the prime example of how to do this in his conversation with the woman at the well. Remember, after that conversation, she flees back to the city where she has been hiding from people. She wants no interaction with these people. Why? Because they know what she has done. They know what she's done, and she's embarrassed about what she's done. And yet the way that Jesus talks to her, and, and he, doesn't, he doesn't mince words, right? He confronts her, her, her sin, lets her know, I know about your sin, but offers in the confrontation redirection and hope because she comes running into her city, and remember the words that she uses? Come meet the man who told me everything I've ever done, Right? She's, she's not embarrassed about it anymore because she's been redirected to the hope that comes in Jesus. Not just confrontation that says you're a sinner, you don't meet the mark, you're darkness. No, it's coupled with here's how you come to the light. Here's how you can be saved and become a partaker of the light. So as we interact with each other and as we interact with potentially unbelievers, we have a responsibility not just to cut ourselves off from it and say, I don't do those things, Right? But to go into that situation, protecting ourselves, insulating ourselves, but to go into those situations with the hope of exposing the sin, right? So, so I don't just go and hang out with you in the sin, right? I expose the fact that, hey, what's happening here is sinful, but there's hope, right? I too used to be this. I too used to be darkness. And that's where the self-righteous piece gets minimized because you admit as we saw earlier, you used to be the darkness, not just in the darkness, right? You're not like the, the princess in Shrek where, where you just think you need to be saved from this, but you're genuinely pretty good. Remember, she's saved from it and she's, she's not a good princess, right? She needs to be transformed and changed. We were darkness ourselves and we've been saved from that and we can lead people to that same type of transformational change. Correction and redirection, confrontation coupled with hope. We have to keep in mind that we too were darkness made into light. And there's hope for those that we know who are still in darkness because we were saved from it as well. John 3, 19 through 21 talks about people coming into the light and their sin being exposed. And some will respond to that and some will flee from it. John three nineteen. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. 
And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Darkness shelters evil. It festers it. It offers a false sense of protection, right? Like there's just something evil about even darkness, right? And and it festers darkness and it festers uh, dark things to come out because they believe that they're hidden, right? You go into your garage at night and you turn on the light and nobody ever says like, I turned the light on and there were butterflies everywhere, right? No, it's like there were cockroaches everywhere, right? We came into our neighborhood the other night and we, we came around the corner and a possum ran across the road, right? And one of my kids in the back was like, oh, he's so cute. And, I'm th- and then the other kid was like, no, they're not cute, right? Because they're just like things that come out at night in the dark generally aren't desirable, right? Um, even like uh, the darkness even kind of pitches this idea of protection, a lot of times a false sense of protection, right? Um, deer that I love to hunt uh, typically like to come out when it gets dark, right? Because there's an added piece of protection or at least a perceived added piece of protection. So if you're a hunter, you want to be there up until the sun is going down because that's when the deer are probably going to come out. And then you want to be there before the sun comes up because they're probably already there and they're going to stay there until the sun comes up. There's this, there's this thought of protection in the darkness. But what we're seeing is that the most protected place to be is really in the light, when light comes, it encourages life. I love sitting in a deer stand um, and just observing the change that happens from dark to light. Because you get there and there's this, even as an adult male, there is an uneasiness about sitting in the woods in the dark and not being able to see anything and just kind of hearing things that you don't hear during the normal part of the day. Uh, I walked out last night uh, to get something out of my truck and I heard like the weirdest uh, high-pitched scream coming from just up the street and it wasn't a human scream so i didn't feel the need to go investigate it was some type of animal getting a hold of another animal um there's just an eeriness about the darkness and then i love sitting in the in the deer stand and the sun comes up and everything comes to life and an hour after the sun has come up you're like what was i ever uneasy about like i can see everything and, and everything's fine right that's the idea that we come from the from the from the light Uh, from the darkness into the light, and then we're trying to expose the darkness to bring it to light as well. The focus must be on not participating or tolerating the evil around us. We must expose it with love. And here's here's kind of an added piece of motivation because a lot of us kind of think, well, I need to to kind of stay out of that. That's not my business. Think of it in these terms. Whenever someone is allowed to remain in their evil and their darkness, it's impacting somebody beyond themselves, right? Right? We can be motivated for the good of others. We can be motivated by the good of others that as we seek to expose sin, to bring it to the light, the hopes of it being changed and transformed, somebody actually moving from darkness to light, we are impacting other people who are being negatively impacted by the evil and sin of that person, right? We, we expose it. We bring it to the light. That's how, we, that's how we live as children of light. We make intentional plans to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. And then we commit to the goodness and the rightness and the truth that we know is pleasing to the Lord. And then as we separate from the darkness to no longer be a partner with it, instead our relationship is altered and changed to where now we seek to expose the darkness. 
We seek to bring the darkness into the light, out of that unfruitful state and into fruitfulness. This section closes with what seems to be a quotation, but not a quotation from any particular part of Scripture. Specifically, it says, Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. A lot of commentators believe this is a quote from an early church hymn or maybe even a church confession that was maybe recited at uh, baptismal services. Um, Certainly we can see here the spiritual metaphors that are so prevalent in other parts of Scripture, the idea of us awakening from sleep, rising from the dead, moving from darkness to light. I'll close by reading Romans 13, verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let me encourage you to jot down Isaiah 26, 19. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Isaiah 26, 19, Isaiah 60, verse 1. These are other Old Testament passages that may have contributed to that quote there from Paul. You could also read 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 10, because that passage also carries the same idea of awakening from sleep, rising from the dead, moving from darkness to light. Our identity truth to remember today, number one, every Christian has a responsibility to please the Lord by displaying goodness, righteousness, and truth to a dark world. Every Christian has a responsibility to please the Lord by displaying goodness, righteousness, and truth to a dark world. And there are application questions to leave with today. Who are you primarily trying to please with your life? I mean, the the Christian answer is obvious, that we should be seeking to please Christ. The practical answer maybe isn't always that. You're trying to please yourself, others in your life, your children, your spouse, your boss? Like, who is the ultimate filter for the choices and decisions you make? Who are you primarily trying to please with your life? Number two, does your time spent in the light reflect the priority you want to have in knowing how to please him? Does your time spent in the light, time spent in the word, time spent here at church, time spent with your C group, time spent with your D group, time spent with other Christian fellowship outside those settings, does your time spent in the light reflect the priority you want to have in knowing how to please him, because it's in those times where we get a better idea and picture of what it means to please our Lord. Number three, how are you relating to the darkness around you? Are you partnering? Are you separating? Or are you exposing? Right? Obviously, we don't want to be partici- or partnering with it. We come up short if all we do is separate from it and just cut ourselves off from it. Instead, we need to have an active ministry within the darkness where we are seeking to expose it. We're seeking to bring people to the light, not in a judgmental way, but in a hopeful way, just like Jesus did with the woman at the well. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for your goodness, for your rightness and for your truth. We thank you for bringing us from darkness to light. We thank you for saving our souls. As your children today, Father, we confess that we have a desire to please you increase our knowledge and understanding and discernment for how to do that. Help us as we leave today to be better displayers of light. Help it to start by us spending intentional time in the light. 
so that we can make plans to, to shine our light. Lord, help us to, to make a commitment to things that are good and right and true. And God, help us to make a commitment that as long as you keep us in this world, that we are here to expose it. To do so, not from a judgmental mindset, but from a hopeful mindset. So God, help us in our interaction with those around us to point them to you through our good works, to expose the darkness of their own works and the unfruitfulness of it. God, help us to guide them into the light where they can get the answers and the satisfaction that they seek. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.